Hi there, welcome to my weekly Parsha share this week for Parsha's Truma. Parsha's Truma is a very special Parsha because it kicks off a set of four Parshas that deal with the construction of the Mishkan, which was the portable sanctuary that the Bnei Yisrael, the Israelites, built in the wilderness under the guidance of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Moses, and at God's instruction. The Mishkan became the central location for the Jewish people, for the formal activities of Avodas Hashem, the activities that enabled the nation to worship God. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was where the Lechem HaPonim, the bread, the showbread, was put on the Shulchan each week. It was where the menorah, the candelabra, was lit each day by Aaron HaKohen. It was where the incense was offered up. And it was where all the animal sacrifices were brought and offered up to God. But most important of all, the Mishkan became the prototype sanctuary for the Jewish people, ultimately evolving into the permanent sanctuary on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Beit HaMikdash, and the model of every synagogue that has ever been built. That's why Parshas Terumah and its associated portions in the Torah, Tetzaveh, Vayakal and Pekudeh, are so special and so important. And that's why the commentaries from Chazal right the way through to modern times look for and find messages in Terumah that resonate for Jewish people in every era, as much today as it did at the dawn of Jewish history. There are many lessons, important lessons, that we can draw from Truma. One of the key lessons we can take from this portion is the importance of giving. The word Teruma actually means a contribution. And in this case, it refers to the donations that the Jewish people gave to build the Mishkan. God commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to collect specific materials such as gold, silver and precious stones, as well as items like acacia wood, fine linens and animal skins, for those items to be used in the Mishkan's construction. The Jewish people responded with incredible generosity and unbridled enthusiasm, contributing everything that was needed for the Mishkan's construction, so much so that by the time it came to the Nesim, the tribal leaders who had held back to see what was needed once the campaign was over, there was nothing left for them to give. This wasn't some kind of donation-matching online charity campaign where your dollar is miraculously multiplied as a result of some matching donor who probably gave the money anyway and isn't matching your dollar, but you still get excited and dream that the charity is only raised a million dollars because you gave your $36. No, it wasn't that kind of campaign at all. This was as real as it could get. By the end of it, they were turning people away and they had as much as they needed and more. It was the dream charity campaign and it was the example that was set for all time. That is what charity should look like. Through their act of giving, the Jewish people demonstrated their commitment to God and also their willingness to help build a place to worship him. It's also important to remember that giving doesn't just refer to giving material goods, not at all. It also means giving our time, our skills, our energy, our passion, ourselves to the cause. 
There's many ways to give, not just money. You can volunteer. You can mentor. You can encourage. You can fundraise. And also, sometimes, simply being present and supportive can make such a huge difference. I want to mention, with reference to this idea of giving, that the Jewish people's willingness to give so generously for the construction of the Mishkan reflected their deep desire to connect with God. Think about it. Even before the Mishkan was built, the act of giving was itself a form of Avodas Hashem. And this is no different today. Our willingness to give to others today, right now, is a reflection of our connection with Hashem, with God, and our desire to connect to Him through the act of giving. By the way, there is a wonderful gematria, a remez, in the word teruma. Teruma has the numerical value of 651. Now, if you add together the numerical value of all the letters in teruma, it comes to 651, which is exactly the same as the numerical value of the Hebrew words Am Yisrael, which means the Jewish people, which also adds up to 651. Do you know why? Because giving is at the heart of who we are as a people. We have it in us to give, and we have it in us to be givers. And here's another one. Teruma also has the same gematria as V'yisem li la'am, and you shall be a people for me. It's such an amazing gematria. It tells us that if we are givers, if we are Turuma people, then we are not only being true to our essence as Am Yisrael, but God promises us that you will be my people, you will be God's people. What could be better than that? Another lesson we learn from Pasha Struma is how important it is to give attention to detail. The Mishkan was constructed with great care and precision, and every detail of its construction is described down to the last measurement. But here's the thing. The design of the Mishkan was given by God to Moshe, but it was up to the people to carry out the work with precision and accuracy. The attention to detail by the people as a whole was the beginning of an approach to faith that is totally unique to Judaism. Exactness, detail, no element is too small or immaterial to brush over or discard. Everything matters, and everything matters very much. The Mishkan set the tone and then the message fed into every other mitzvah in the Torah. At the same time, there was place for creativity in the construction of the Mishkan. The Torah provided detailed instructions for the construction of the Mishkan, but it also allowed for some degree of creativity and individual expression. For example, the Torah specifies the materials and dimensions for the various components of the Mishkan, but it allowed the skilled artisans who were building it to use their own creativity and expertise in the details of their work so that there was part of them in the final product. They weren't just a construction line at Ford Motor Company. This emphasis on personal creativity is an important reminder of the importance of individuality 
and personal expression in our Avodas Hashem. We are not all expected to do every mitzvah in exactly the same way. That is the beauty of the mitzvahs. For example, we all keep Shabbos, but no one's Shabbos is exactly alike. The rules are the framework. The individual aspect that we invest makes it special and unique. And here is another idea for you to think about. According to Ramban, the symbolism of the various materials that were used in the construction of the Mishkan are as important as the things that were created using them. For example, the acacia wood that was used for the framework of the Mishkan represents the skeleton of the human body, which is a vessel for the soul, while the gold that was used to overlay the wood represents the divine light that illuminates the soul. Ramban also says that the Mishkan was meant to serve as a place of atonement for the sins of the Israelites. It was a place for the Jewish people to do teshuva. The sacrifices and the offerings that were made in the Mishkan were all meant to help us atone for our transgressions and to draw closer to Hashem. Why was this so important? Ramban explains that teshuva is one of the principal ideas of Judaism and he therefore suggests that the Mishkan served as a physical representation of the path to repentance and forgiveness, a constant physical reminder that it is always possible to do teshuva. Meshech Chochma, Rabbi Simcha of Dvinsk, in his commentary on Parshas Truma, provides several insights into the symbolism and significance of the Mishkan and its construction. One of the key themes he focuses on is the idea of unity. He notes that the Mishkan was built by the Jewish people as a collective effort with each member of the community contributing according to their abilities. This collective effort reflected the unity and harmony that we are meant to cultivate among ourselves so that we can all pull together and create the best possible outcome. Together we are greater than the sum of our individual parts. United we can aim much higher than if we are disunited and trying to do things on our own. The Meshech Chochmah also emphasizes the role of the heart in the construction of the Mishkan. The Torah says that the Israelites had to give their contributions with a willing heart. Giving wasn't enough. They had to want to give. This willingness, this readiness to give reflected a deep desire to connect with God. And that's the way it needs to be. It must become the mantra for all mitzvahs that we do. The Meshech Chochma also has another lesson for us to learn from Truma, that the Mishkan was meant to be a spiritual oasis in the desert. He notes that the harsh, barren landscape of the desert was a metaphor for the spiritual challenges that the Israelites faced on their journey to the Promised Land. The Mishkan, with its sacred objects and holy rituals, was meant to provide a sense of comfort and spiritual nourishment in the midst of this 
barren landscape. We must also find our Mishkan in the midst of our own spiritual wilderness. God dwells in that wilderness only if there is a Mishkan to house him. The Osuli Mikdash, will you build me a sanctuary in your life, in your home? Then I will dwell in your midst. Rabbi Shamshan Raphael Hirsch, the 19th century Rav of Frankfurt in Germany, in his teachings on Pasha's Truma, also provides several insights into the symbolism and significance of the Mishkan and its construction. One of his key themes is the idea that the Mishkan is a microcosm of the universe. The Mishkan was constructed according to specific measurements and specifications. And Rav Hush suggests that this reflects the order and precision of the universe as a whole. Every galaxy, every star, every solar system, with all its planets and moons orbiting precisely according to a set pattern, all of these are found in the various aspects of the Mishkan with its inner area, the star, and its solar system of objects, and the things that each of these needed, their moons, etc. It's a wonderful metaphor. He takes it even further with the Ark of the Covenant and the Shulchan representing different aspects of the universe and of human existence. Rav Hirsch also emphasizes the idea that the Mishkan was meant to be a place of moral and ethical education. He notes that the various components of the Mishkan, such as the altar of the incense and the menorah, were meant to teach moral and ethical lessons, and that the construction of the Mishkan was a way of transmitting these lessons to future generations. The Mishkan, and later on the Beis Hamikdash, were a constant reminder of the importance of ethical and moral values in our service of God. Rav Kook focuses on the idea of the Mishkan as a place of encounter with God. The Mishkan was meant to be a physical dwelling place for God's presence, he says, and he suggests that this reflects the importance of encountering God in our daily lives. We must seek God out and have a relationship with him in a real sense. That was why we needed a Mishkan to remind us of this fact. Rav Kook also says that the Mishkan served as a model for our own spiritual practice. We should strive to create a Mishkan in our communities, a place where God's presence is real and is constant. Another key insight from Rav Kook is the idea that the Mishkan was meant to be a place of beauty and aesthetic value. The various components of the Mishkan, such as the Aron Habrit, the Ark, and the Menorah, were deliberately designed to be aesthetically pleasing, which is because we need to be reminded how important it is to make sure that our mitzvahs are enhanced by beauty. You need to have a beautiful Shabbos table, and you need to get new clothes for Yom Tov. Your shul should look special, and it should definitely not be messy and unpleasant and shabby to be in. The Mishkan is the prototype of having beauty and aesthetics play a role in the way we perform mitzvahs. We have to integrate beauty and aesthetics into our daily lives as Jews. 
Let me now look at a specific posuk in Terumah that requires a closer reading so that we can understand it properly. In chapter Chof um, Vav, posuk Tesvav, it says, V'osisa es hakaroshim lamishkan atseishitim oimdim. You shall make the beams for the tabernacle out of acacia wood upright. The beams had to be made out of acacia wood, and when they were used, they had to be placed upright, namely in the original direction they had grown, not upside down. Acacia wood is known for its density and hardness, which makes it the perfect material for pieces that will get a lot of use, such as tables and benches. And if it is properly maintained, acacia wood can last for a very, very long time. According to Rashi, Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to use the wood from acacia trees that Yaakov Avinu had planted in Egypt before he died, especially for the construction of the Mishkan. Before he died, Yaakov Avinu had instructed his children to cut down these trees and take the wood with them when they left Egypt. And he prophesied that God would one day command the construction of a Mishkan and the wood from these trees would become the beams that they would use for the walls of that Mishkan. Rashi's commentary is based on a medrash in Parshas Vayigash, which describes how Yaakov, when he was on his way down to Egypt, stopped in Beersheva to gather wood that his grandfather, Avram Avinu, had planted there many, many years earlier. The Torah tells us that Avram had planted an Eshel in Beersheva, and it was these trees that Yaakov cut down on his way to Egypt, and he took them there and replanted them. As it turns out, the wood used to build the Mishkan had a very rich and very meaningful history. It wasn't only traced back to Yaakov Avinu, but all the way back to Avram Avinu, who planted the trees in Beersheva. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky provides a beautiful insight into the posuk we quoted earlier, which says, shitim oimdim. What exactly does this phrase mean? According to the Gemara and Sukkah, Memhe on the base, Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to use wood that would last forever, wood that would never burn, or get destroyed, or be captured, or warp, or rot. He needed trees that would stand forever. Really? Where would he find such wood? And in the middle of the Sinai Desert? It's an impossible, absolutely impossible directive. Moshe wondered what to do, and then he understood. The answer lay in the trees that Yaakov had planted, which originated in the trees from Avom Avinu. These trees were meant for a mitzvah and to be used for Kedusha, for something holy. And trees like that last forever. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. You can't capture them, or burn them, or destroy them, or warp them, or rot them. It's impossible. Something made, Altaras HaKodesh, something that is built from something so pure and with such pristine intentions will endure and exist forever. It is Omed L'Olam L'Olmeol Maya. That is what it meant when Moshe was instructed to use Atze Shitim Oimdim. Use these legacy trees from Yaakov and Avraham. Only those trees, only those trees could be used to build the Mishkan so that it would exist forever and ever. In Meseches Vav Metziah Daf Base, Rav Chia says that he's going to ensure the eternity of Torah. 
What does he mean? Rav Chia, Rav Kamenetsky, explains how he did it. How did Rav Chia do it? He taught children Torah. Teaching young children Torah was his method of ensuring that Torah will not be forgotten from Israel. But what guarantee did he have that the tradition would be carried on by future generations? Do you know what he did? Rav Chia didn't just sit down with the children and teach them Torah. It's an amazing story. He went to incredible lengths to get to that stage. First, he planted flax from which he made nets to make traps to catch deer. Then he caught the deer. Then he made hides from their skin on which he wrote the Torah. He did all this to ensure that the Torah would last forever. At every stage along the way, his motives were pure and infused with Kedusha. If he would have just bought parchment and he would have written the Torah scrolls himself, that wouldn't have been enough. He aimed for much more than that. He took the initiative to plant flax, make nets and catch deer to procure the hides. It was this that ensured that the Torah he taught the children would endure for eternity. Because the project didn't start in the middle. It started with the initial component parts. Absolutely amazing. According to Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, the message to Moshe was that he had to use wood that would last forever, which is why he was told to obtain Atze Shitim Oimdim. Wood that was already standing. But where would Moshe find such wood? The answer was simple. The trees that Yaakov Avinu planted in Egypt after cutting down the trees that Avram Avinu had planted in Beersheba. These trees were already infused with Kedusha from their genesis. Do you know why? Because they were used by Avram to provide hospitality for wayfarers in his hospitality tent, which he built using this wood. By using these trees to build the Mishkan, it could never ever be destroyed. We still have it in every shul we go into and every time we pray in shul. To create something that will last forever, sanctity must be put into the structure from the very beginning. Okay, one last thing. Let's talk about the menorah. In the Pasuk it says, You shall make a menorah of pure gold. Miksha shall the menorah be made. The passive language, te'ose, shall be made, is used instead of the more common direct instruction, ta'ase, make. Rashi comments that the menorah somehow made itself because Moshe had difficulty visualizing its appearance. The menorah was so intricate with its flowers and cups and buds that Moshe could not figure out exactly how to make it. Eventually, God told him to throw an ingot of gold into the furnace and it miraculously made itself, a menorah formed in the fire. The Maharal in Gur Aryeh asks a question on this Rashi from the Medrash Tanchuma, which seems to indicate something different. On the Posuk in Parshas Bahaloischa, the Zemaseh HaMenorah, this is the workmanship of the menorah, the Medrash says that every time the word Zeh, this, appears in the Chumish, it indicates figuratively pointing with a finger. For example, on the Posuk, Ze Keli Vanvehu. It's in Ozyoshe. This is my God and I will glorify him. Chazal say that even a maidservant at the Red Sea could see things that the great prophet Yecheskel could not see. That was the level of their prophecy there. She could point to God with a finger and say, Ze Keli Vanvehu. 
In Baloischa, when the Pasuk says, Bezeh Maseh HaMenorah, do you know what it means? The Medrash says that it means that God showed Moshe a menorah, and as it were, pointed at it and said, Bezeh Maseh HaMenorah, this is what the menorah looks like. The Maral points out that this Medrash in Bamidbar seems to contradict what Rashi says here in Parshas Truma. Our Rashi says that Moshe could not figure it out and the menorah emerged from the fire by itself. The Medrash Tanchuma says the opposite, that God clearly pointed out the appearance of the menorah to Moshe so that Moshe would know how to make it himself. Yes, it is possible that Moshe tried to make it and couldn't, so he finally threw the gold into the fire and the menorah came out. But Rashi implies that it was totally spontaneous, with no initial attempt by Moshe to make it, as suggested by the Medrash in Bamidbar. So which version is correct? Good question, right? The Maral says that the process of creating the menorah involved Moshe Rabbeinu studying and trying to understand its structure before attempting to make it himself. Then, when his efforts failed, Hashem instructed him to throw the gold into the fire, which produced the finished product without any further effort. The Maral explains that there is a reason for this. It emphasizes the lesson that nothing ever happens on its own. And even in seemingly hopeless situations, one must make an effort before receiving help from Hashem. Rabbi Yeshua Hartman, my former colleague at Hasmoney in High School in London, in his wonderful commentary on the Maharal, quotes a posset from Dvorim that accentuates the need for action when we want something done, even when we can't get it done ourselves. And God, your God, will bless you in all that you do. Rabbi Hartman quotes the Sifri, which stresses this idea that the blessing will only come after you have made an effort. If you wait for the miracle, the blessing won't come. This lesson also makes sense when it comes to raising children. Though it may seem impossible at times, putting in effort and making a sincere attempt can lead to Hashem's help and eventually success. I'd like to end off with a gorgeous story. There was once a man named Yankel who lived in a small village in Eastern Europe. Yankel was a simple man who worked hard in his small shop to provide for his family. One day, the village was visited by the great rabbi, Reb Shlema of Karlin, who was known for his piety and for his wisdom. Reb Shlema Karlina went from house to house, meeting the villagers and blessing them. And when he came to Yankel's shop, he saw that Yankel had a beautiful menorah made out of brass. Reb Shlema Karlina was very impressed with it, and he asked Yankel if he could make a similar menorah out of gold. Yankel shrugged, I'm sorry, Rabbi, but I don't have the skills or the means to make a menorah out of gold. Reb Shlema Karlina smiled and he said, Yankela, Yankela, I believe you can do it. I know you can do it. Here is what I want you to do. Take a piece of gold and hold it in your hand every night before you go to sleep. And before you go to sleep, ask Hashem to help you find a way to make a golden menorah and then see what happens. Yankel was skeptical, but he decided to follow Reb Shlema Kalina's advice anyway. Every night, 
he held the piece of gold in his hand and he prayed for guidance. One night he had a dream in which he saw the exact design of a gold menorah complete with intricate details and decorations. And when he woke up he immediately went to work using his skill and knowledge to craft the menorah according to the design that he'd seen in his dream. It took him a long time but he worked tirelessly and until the menorah was completed. He was so excited. He traveled with the gold menorah to Sirup Shlema Karlina. The Rebbe was amazed at its beauty and craftsmanship. Yankele, he said, you have given Hashem the greatest gift you can give. You have given him your heart and your soul. The menorah is just a symbol of that gift. The story of Yankele and his gold menorah is a lesson for us all. Find that golden coin. Hold on to it. Daven every night. And then leave the rest to Hashem. Just like Yankel, we too can achieve greatness by trusting in Hashem and putting in the effort to fulfill our dreams. And just like the menorah, we too can be a symbol of the light and goodness in the world. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.